And I mean, if that's your hobby to to learn, that's fantastic. But if but stop fooling yourself. If all you're doing is you know filling you up, so I equate learning and doing to eating and then exercise, right? If, if all you do is consume educational content, but you never go out and do it, you're just going to get mentally fat. Are you looking for freedom? Freedom from the daily grind and hustle? Or just finding a way to live the life you always wanted? Then join us on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Our host, Mike Ayala, will help you discover new ways to find freedom with tips, insights, and interviews. You'll learn the exact systems he's used to travel the world and live his best life. True success and happiness are all about freedom. And here's your roadmap on how to find freedom on your own terms. Welcome to the Investing for Freedom podcast. Here's your host, Mike Ayala. Thank you for joining me on the Investing for Freedom podcast. I got to tell you guys, I am super excited for this episode today because as you know, This is the Investing for Freedom podcast. And one thing that I'm always thinking about is the statement of don't compare your year one to someone else's year 20. And in this day and age, and I've been discussing this a lot the last, you know, probably year, but really more so the last three to six months, there's been all this conversation. So much has changed in the world. And in this day and age of gurus everywhere, people teaching everything, Um, I actually remember a statement that I heard early on where Robert Allen said, you know, I've made millions of dollars in investing in real estate, but I've made hundreds of millions teaching real estate investing. And one of the things that I don't love about what I've seen in the world today is that everybody's a teacher and everybody's telling you how, you know, easy it is and, and the hack. But our guest today has been there, done that. And when I'm looking back at my career, um, you know, a lot of times you're comparing somebody else's year 20, as I said, to, to your year one, and they're talking about raising money and borrowing millions of dollars from the bank. And I actually remember one time as an early entrepreneur, I went into my banker, I had been listening to Donald Trump and Donald Trump said, never sign a personal guarantee. So I'm working with my banker and my banker's like, we're going to need a personal guarantee. And I said, I don't do personal guarantees. And he laughed at me. And this is a great correlation to what I'm really getting at, because a lot of times when you're getting started, you know, we listen to these people that are raising, you know, millions of dollars and, and they're borrowing money left and right. And our guest today is going to show you a different way. His track record actually speaks to this because I'm not going to steal his thunder here, but his story is amazing. And I first connected with him. We just had a call for like an hour when I still lived in Phoenix and, and uh, we were just talking about his backstory and it's just so impressive. And I think our guest today is going to really inspire you no matter where you're at to just get started. You don't have to have a million dollars in the bank. His story is one that proves this. My story is one that proves this. But again, a lot of times we get stuck on somebody's year 20 when we just need to come back to where we're at today and we need to align with people that can teach us that can teach us and show us the way without comparing us to their year 20. So Brian Tibbs, welcome to the show. I'm really excited about the book you have coming out. I don't tend to promote a lot of books, but with your backstory and just getting to know you over the last couple of years, I'm really excited about what you're going to bring to people that want to break out of living paycheck to paycheck and the grind of their day to day. So thanks for being on the show. Oh, man, I am so thankful and and humbled uh, to be here. And I recognize the fact that you don't have a ton of guests on. And so, yeah, I'm I'm just really appreciative that you'd have me on and that you're uh, showing interest and even mentoring me along the way, too. I, I love hearing your stuff that you're putting out and also the conversations that we've had have been very impactful for me. 
Well, I, this is going to be really fun. And, and again, I wasn't, uh, you know, just doing the intro to do the intro. I'm really excited about this conversation, but I want to set the context and we'll get into the book and, and, you know, what you're currently doing here in a little bit, but I want to set the context because the thing that I was so fascinated with by you is your background and what you did while simultaneously building a very successful real estate portfolio. So I would love for you to go back and just give us your backstory on who you were, well, who you are still today, because it's not like that changed, but right. tell us where you came from. And, and I want you to kind of weave in what you built while doing that, because it's just fascinating. Yeah. Okay. Well, if I go way back, um, I bought my first duplex when I was in college and it was really, it, it was an influence from my dad and my grandfather. I, I overheard them having a conversation about buying a duplex themselves and they weren't real estate guys. They, my, my grandfather was retired and my dad had his own small business. Um, but they were wanting to kind of, you know, save for retirement, quote unquote. And so they were buying this duplex and I just thought it was absurd. Why would you want to go at midnight and unclog a toilet? Why would you want to have be on the hook for a mortgage, which I'm sure they had a personal guarantee on? Uh, why would you be on the hook for a mortgage and the guy doesn't pay his rent and you can't pay the mortgage? And and what if they burn the house down? You know, all these things, I'm sure a lot of people can maybe even identify with some of those things I was thinking as a teenager. Um, and they walked me through the process very, very uh, carefully and thoughtfully and showed me how, yeah, okay, yeah, the $50 a month in cash flow we're going to get isn't going to change anybody's life. But watch what happens over the long term. Watch what happens in 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. And when I saw that they could like triple their money, I was like, okay, yes. Yeah. So even as a stubborn teenager, I saw something magical uh, in what happens when you don't look at your paycheck as, oh, look, here's what I have to spend this month. But you look at your paycheck and you say, what if I tell my paycheck what to do instead of it telling me what to do? And I'm going to use some of it to live, of course. I'm going to invest a large percentage of it. And then I'm going to be generous with the rest, right? So when I went to college, I was like, I don't have a lot of money. I've got a little bit of money coming in. I need to live. I want to try to live for free. So I said, hey, I'm going to buy a duplex. So I bought a duplex uh, when I was in college. And in fact, I went to business school, graduated with a business degree, kept buying real estate. And that was really what I was going to do. But about 10, uh, about five years after uh, college or five years after I bought that first duplex, I started to feel a, a different calling on my life, like a 180 degree different direction calling on my life. I was uh, attending a church and I was dating a girl that I met at the church uh, who today is my wife. And, um, and I just started hearing kind of this nagging voice that I was supposed to be a missionary, which I just thought was completely absurd. Right. And, um, anyway, long story short, after a year of kind of ignoring, ignoring that calling, I, I decided, okay, fine, I'll accept it. I'm going to lose my girlfriend. I'm going to lose my business. I'm going to lose my real estate. I'm going to lose everything I care about. And I'm going to go off into the jungle and I'm going to start speaking like, you know, some crazy language or something. And, um, and I just, I was kind of annoyed by it. I was frustrated by it, but I knew that that was what I was supposed to do. So uh, a year after I finally accepted that, my wife and I were married and we moved sight unseen to Guatemala uh, with just what would fit in my two suitcases and her two suitcases. And uh, that led to us actually staying overseas for 16 years. So we moved to five different countries, uh, Argentina, Peru, Ecuador, and then Brazil. 
And during that time, I led a, a nonprofit that was uh, that was designed to find, train, and send uh, missionaries, specifically young adult missionaries. And we did church planting and community development and marriage enrichment. And we took care of the orphans and we helped prostitutes escape prostitution and, you know, kind of all of that stuff. And all said and done, we sent 360 plus missionaries. We planted 96 churches uh, in 11 different countries, mostly in South America. And during that time, um, we didn't make a lot of money. We we were technically volunteers, so what we had to do is we had to go we had to go raise money from donors to pay our living expenses. And if you take the total amount of money that we claimed on our you know on our W two on our taxes for those sixteen years and divided by the number of hours that my wife and I worked in the mission, we made nine dollars and twenty cents an hour average. Now, obviously, the beginning years was nothing, and the later years was better, but the average was $9.20. And we just were dedicated and disciplined that we, I mean, we knew there was going to be no retirement from the mission work. Um, And so we were dedicated and disciplined to be wise with every dollar that came in, like looking at our paycheck and saying, okay, paycheck, no more than half of you is to pay for our living expenses. So we're going to be creative and we're going to figure out ways to live on less than half, on half of our income. 40% of you is going to be invested. And then 10% of you are going to give away to make the world a better place. And so that's how we lived. And it was uh, slim pickings in the beginning. Um, but by the time we got done, we had amassed a multi-million dollar net worth. And when we decided that our time in the field was done, uh, December of 2021, we moved back to the United States, settled in Phoenix, Arizona, and uh, our investments are are able to pay for all of our of all of our living expenses. So we don't need a W two job, um, and now we're just trying to help other folks do what we did. Man, that's fascinating. I so I I want to I want to kind of pivot back to what you just said. You were making basically nine dollars and some odd cents an hour for the amount of uh, the amount of hours that you work and. You know, I talk to so many people on a, an ongoing basis that, you know, they, they look at their resources and they're like, you know, my resources are limited. It's either time, yeah. it's connections, relationships, or it's money. And right. the thing that I hear in your story, which is interesting, which kind of shatters glass ceilings and limiting beliefs, and I don't want to assume anything here, but you were overseas a lot of this time. So, your connections, like, you know, for the, for the person that's out there, like saying that they have these limiting beliefs, you know, I don't have time, I don't have money, I don't have resource in the term in the form of people, like, you didn't have time, you were working your butt off, you didn't have money, other than the fact that you were being very strategic around it. But it's not like your, you know, grandfather and and dad were giving you millions of dollars to invest in real estate, or you're like a hiring accredited investor w2 guy. And then thirdly, like even relationships, you're overseas. And so there's all these excuses that I hear people making and you overcame all of those. So can you touch on that a little bit for me? Like how, for people that are like, I, I don't, I don't have anything. Well, you didn't either. Right. Yeah. I, I I spent $2,500 to buy my first property. I lived in it. So I qualified for owner occupied I got the lowest percentage you could possibly get. Now, it didn't make a lot of cash flow because interest rates, you think they're bad now. They were 9% back in 1996. So my first loan was at 9%. So I didn't make a lot of cash flow, but I lived almost for free, right? And that was the goal. Um, and, and so, 
I didn't have to have a, a lot of money to get started. I had to be creative. And, and as you're asking that question, I think it's a fantastic question. And I think it's something that everybody who tells themselves something or they hear something from a loved one um, that causes them not to take a step forward it is all of the disadvantages that I had. And you're right. I'm, I'm 5,000 miles away from where my investments are. When I lived in Argentina, I, it, Argentina for part of the year for after daylight savings is actually an hour east of Eastern time. So I'm four hours away from mountain time where my, where my properties were. So it was hard for me when I get off work, it's the middle of the day there. And when I get up in the morning, it's, you know, just the time shift is, is a challenge. Um, half of the people who follow me on social media don't speak English, right? So talking about relationships and connections. And I would say that all of those things, yes, maybe were obstacles, but I tried to figure out ways to make those things uh, actually positives. So being far away from my, and, and maybe even by accident in some cases, being far away from my investments forced me to build a team. So I wasn't the one unclogging toilets. I wasn't the one dealing with tenants. I wasn't the one cashing checks or paying the bills. I had a team do that. So when I returned back to the United States, I already had a machine that was running things for me and the business model was built out to afford that. So it's not like I'm like, well, you know, I don't have any more money or I don't have any more time. I, I can't, can't keep this thing going. So it forced me to do that. Um, being far away also... So we would come back to the United States for maybe six weeks a year Tip was a typical kind of a, a rhythm for us. And so I had to focus on the mission 100%. So when we came back to the US, we were raising money for the mission and doing other things, but I was able to kind of put one eye on the investments and take a look and make weeks, sell something, buy something new. And it just kept my portfolio fresh, but I wasn't obsessed about it. And 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 so I was able to dedicate, and I didn't just work 40 hours a week. You know, I mean, I... I was CEO. I was working very hard at the mission. And so I was completely focused on that. So it's not like you can't say, well, if I didn't have a full-time job or if I didn't have a full-time and a part-time job, I couldn't do this. No, I've, you know, pay the focus, uh, put, pay attention to it when you can. Um, but that's almost, it might even be better that way. Cause if you obsess over stuff, you can over tinker and, you know, the entrepreneur gets the, the shiny object syndrome. And that just enabled me to be really basic and really focused and just stick to what I knew. And I just didn't get out of my lane. And that worked. Yeah, I'm, I'm so in just again, intrigued by by the story here. And I think there's so many principles that we can, you know, circle back to. But one of the things that I've always said, and again, I'll circle back to what I said in the intro. In this day and age, I think, you know, a lot of people and rightly so back to what Robert Allen said, you know, teaching real estate investing, you can make a ton of money. And I get that. Right, right. Um, but the majority of successful people that I know, and we're in a group together called Go Abundance. And, you know, if you really look at successful real estate investors, most of them started where you did, where I did. We have a job, we have yeah. a business, we have whatever it is. And we're focused on that thing. I call it the flywheel. And then mm -hmm. we're building income for the long run. But in this day and age, like, you know, I started seeing this around, you know, 20, and it's always been around, but really started accelerating in 2015, 2016, where this idea of real estate investing is this way to make quick money and, right. and to, to really get wealthy. And the thing that I've said over and over and over, it's fine if you want to be a real estate investor, it's fine if you want to quit your job, but there's one of two ways to do this. You either start a real estate investment business and learn how to be a business owner, or you right. kind of take the long right. approach like you did, 
where you're working a job and you understand what the purpose of your portfolio is, which is generating wealth and additional income for the long term. When Kara and I started, our goal was two income producing properties a year for 10 years. And I literally thought at that point in time, like if I just get 20 rental properties, by the time I'm 65 years old, and I was like 25 or 26 then, like by the time I'm 65, I'd have these houses paid for and it would be great. But we tend when we're focused on the system and the process and we have a clear goal, those goalposts tend to move. Yeah. can be a bad thing or a good thing. But in my case, it was a good thing because I realized, you know, I, I don't have to just buy 20 houses. I, I bought a mobile home park like one year later that was uh-huh. two spaces. But anyway, to kind of pull this together and then I'll throw it back to you. So many people think that real estate is the easy button. But what I hear in your story is that you were very focused on your mission, your purpose, and then you were using real estate as an investment vehicle. And I don't care how fast the audience or how slow they want to go, but just putting it in the right place and understanding that real estate investing is just another business. And I love what you said about when you would come back, you would put eyes on the business, you built a team out, you understood from an early place that you needed a team behind that because you were running a business over here and you couldn't run this business over here. So Um, I love what you just said about all of that. Can I toss this back to you and maybe just extract some wisdom on, you know, what you think about all that, what your approach was and your advice for the audience? Yeah, I, in terms of, in terms of building out a team and I, and I, I recognize that that might even sound scary to somebody who's never been like, well, my dad wasn't a business owner. I'm doing what he did. He worked in the such and such company or whatever. Um, I can understand how that can sound intimidating. Um, but it actually is is enriching to do to do something like this all alone. Man, what a drag! Um, but when you can bring other people in that have more experience than you do, doing part of the thing that needs to get done, man, that's that's the magic. That's where it actually gets fun, and you can develop relationships with people that you would never otherwise have the opportunity to do that. And you can be more effective at what you're doing. I don't care who you are. Nobody is good at everything uh, from the accounting to the finding tenants to the unclogging the toilets. Nobody's good at everything. And or and or nobody loves to do all those aspects. But there is somebody out there that does love to do that thing that you hate to do. And you don't even believe it because you hate it so much. But there are people that love to unclog toilets. Now, maybe not just that specific thing, but taking something that's broken and making it fixed. There's people that love that. And so, you know, building a team, if if kind of I'm understanding where you're going, being having being in a situation where I had to build a team made the system so much more robust and made the profits higher, honestly, even though maybe I was paying more in the beginning because I'm paying other people to do some of this work. It forced me to create a system that I could scale up and it's not dependent on me. And it made the process much more enjoyable for me, probably made it better, better for the tenants and everybody that was involved in the business, including the vendors. If there's one thing that I think I understand just in my conversations with you and, and Karen, and I talk about this a lot, um, you know, investing with your values in mind, because a lot of people look at whether it's I want to quit my job and start a business or I want to quit. I want to invest in real estate and quit my job, whatever it is. So many people just focus on the money and all of that. And again, right. we all need money. Um, sure. I, I actually love something that I saw you talk about. You know, the Bible talks about how the love of money is the root of all evil. There's nothing wrong right. with money. It's what makes the world go around and we need resource and it could be trading your time. It could be trading your money. It doesn't really matter. But the reality is the world, the world works on my wife talks about this all the time. 
money is just an exchange of energy. It's just the yep. form of currency that we use today. And so coming back to something, uh, again, just being really clear on your values. Karen, and I talk, uh, you know, a lot of times when we're talking from stages or whatever, we talk about investing with your values in mind versus value investing. And I yeah. hear that so much in your story. And so I'd love to just hear your take on, you know, what your advice would be for somebody when they are wanting to get into investing and really thinking about why they're wanting to invest. Yeah, super good question. It's something that I'm very, very personally passionate about and love to talk with people about. You know, I, there there is nothing wrong with having a goal to get a nice sports car or fly in private jets or have a vacation home on the beach. There's nothing wrong with those kinds of things, unless that's your singular focus and you're just trying to have stuff, right? Um, for me, I, I, I am, my desire, okay, so in this new chapter in my life, where I'm no longer sending out missionaries or being a missionary myself. My mission is to help people break free from the lie that they are destined to make a paycheck, sp spend a paycheck, and do it over again for the rest of their lives. Everybody, I'm speaking to people who live in the United States at least, there is so much opportunity in this country. There is nobody, even if you're making minimum wage, and the salary that I made for 16 years is less than the minimum wage in the state where I live now. I think it's like $13.20 is the minimum wage. So I made, made less than that. Anybody who can take a new view on money and wealth building and their personal finances can become a multimillionaire. And I want to help people accomplish that. But we have three principles that really drive our mission. Number one, we human beings... Are, are created by God to maximize everything in our lives. Mm. We're not created to minimize. We're not created to sit on the couch and watch Netflix eight hours a day. We're not created to um, push an easy button. You said the easy button earlier. You know, there's a lot of people that are trying to find, hey, I just want to drop ship or, hey, I, I want to uh, flip real estate or, hey, I want to do this whatever thing and I'm going to farm out all the work. I'm going to do nothing. I'm going to push this button and money's just going to fall in my bank account. That is not the kind of thing that I think we are built for. We are built to maximize. We're built to maximize our time, maximize our relationships, maximize our wealth building, maximize our gratitude. Everything that we are given, we are supposed to maximize, okay? So that includes our income. And in fact, um, I'm that philosophy is is uh, is was created or was born in me because of Matthew 25, the parable of the talents, where this guy gives gold. That's what talents were. It's not it's not the talent of, hey, I can walk on my hands. That's not the kind of talent we're talking about. It's, it was gold. It was worth 20 years salary of a common worker. And so one talent was worth what we could maybe say like a million bucks today. So the parable of five talents, this, this, this rich guy gives three people. He gives one guy five talents, $5 million, another guy $2 million, and the third guy $1 million. And he says, now go out and multiply it. And then when I come back, you're going to show me what you did. Well, the one guy turned his five into 10. The other guy turned his two into four. And the third guy was afraid, and he buried his money in the backyard. And when the guy came back, they gave him 10 million, 4 million. And the one guy says, here's your million back. I didn't lose any of it, but I was, but I, I was afraid. And so what did the, what did the rich guy do? He told the two guys that multiplied their money into, he said the very famous phrase, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the master. 
And theologians might say, maybe he's referring to heaven. And to the guy that buried his money out of fear in the ground, he said, you wicked and lazy servant, out with you to where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And theologians might say that that's hell. So to the people that maximized the money that the Lord gave them, that the, 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 the rich guy gave them, they got one reward. And the guy that just cowered in fear, he got tossed out. Uh, and, and they're talking about money. I mean, there's no really way that you can bend that. So we are supposed to maximize our wealth. But the counterbalance to that philosophy is we have to put others above our money. Mm. And, and, it, and it's just like this perfect counterbalance. Like, yes, we're supposed to maximize, but not at the expense of the relationships in our lives. If you flying on a private jet is going to cause a strain in a relationship with somebody else, maybe you shouldn't do that. If if buying a $150,000 sports car is going to cause strain in your marriage, maybe that shouldn't be the, the direction that you go. So those two things kind of hold each other in check, right? And then our third philosophy is what ties everything together, that we are supposed to be generous people. Yes, we're supposed to maximize. And yes, we're supposed to put relationships before we put our money or before we put our stuff in this life. And to make that real, we're generous. If we're willing to part with some of that money that we've maximized, that's going to prove that those relationships are more important than our money is. And it does something vital to the soul of the human being, to the two-step process of one, I'm going to release what I've got a death grip on. I'm going to release it and I'm going to give it away to make somebody else's life better. That's what we're all about. So we want to walk along that journey with people of maximizing their wealth, putting relationships first, and then learning to be generous with the abundance that we're given. Man, that's so good. One of the things that, and you know, when I, when I talk to guys like you or, or women, not like you, but women, um, <laughs> you know, there's this theme all the time. And one of the things that I'm very cognizant about in my own being and, and personality is, and, and this is like my main core value is freedom. Yeah. Um, I don't want anybody I don't want to be beholden to anyone. And that doesn't, I'm, you know, I've been an employee before and I have partners and I have investors and I have bankers. Yeah. And so it's not like we can navigate life, you know, in, in forever, you know, not, not being connected to other people. So I'm not saying that, but one right. of the things, and I, and I want to say this and then toss it back to you. One of the things that I've realized most people out there are truly just looking to, bring their destiny into their own hands. And that's a good thing because, you know, a couple of things that I've heard you say, and I love the book that you're coming out with about just like taking your destiny in your own hands, because what we really want at the end of the day, and whether that's through the vehicle of real estate investing, or whether that's through the vehicle of owning a business or even your W2 job and just figuring out how to have your destiny in your own hands. The one thing that I never want to get back to is where I can walk into my boss's office on a Friday afternoon and have my whole life taken from me. Yeah. And that's one of the things that um, I really want you to maybe, you know, give us your viewpoint on that. But when we talk about true freedom, there's nothing wrong with being a W-2 employee. There's nothing wrong with any of that. No. But I think what we're all really looking for is the ability to mitigate change in life, which happens to all of us. You know, there's actually a scripture that talks about the best laid plans in a, in a man's mind. Um, right. it, 
it doesn't matter how great somebody's life looks from the outside. We all have challenges. We all have to adjust along the way. So even with the best of planning, things come up. But as humans, what I think we need to be thinking about is mitigating risk and what if this does happen. And so I would love for you to just kind of talk to us about your philosophy and thoughts around that. Yeah, so I, I mean, I completely subscribe to that idea of of creating your freedom and and you know, living the paycheck to paycheck grind is kind of the the soundbite that I use. It, that's that's a that's a symptom of us minimizing things in our lives, right? And and again, my one of my first principles is let's maximize the things in our lives, maximize my options, maximize my opportunities, maximize my leverage. Not not to cause harm to someone else, but to set me up, to put me and to put you in the position, in the best position possible, right? It's not in an adversarial sense. It's just in a, let's, I'm going to put myself in a situation where I can be successful here. And if, if, you know, this, this all comes back to the way we spend, the way we invest and the way we give. If we, if we're getting a paycheck from somebody and we're just like up to here with our obligations, our, our personal debt, our, like our lifestyle, all the things that we're doing, that's giving our employer, I mean, that's causing us to be in a sense, almost slaves to their employment. And like what you're talking about, like walking into an office and being terrified, he's going to let me go today. And I don't know if I'm going to survive 30 days unless I find something else. That is a terrible emotional roller coaster to live in. And it doesn't have to be that way. If we can, if we can architect, if we can create our own plan, and you're completely right, the best laid plans don't always come to fruition. There's something always going to go haywire. That's certainly the case in my life. Um, but you need to be the architect of your life and you need to put things in place to where it's okay. If you lose that W2 job, you've got a runway, you can go get another one if you need to. And at the same time, begin to build that net worth to get you to the point to where it doesn't matter. I'm going to work when I want and how I want and where I want. Um, and it's not, it's not going to be under pressure of, I got to pay all the bills. I got to keep the wife happy. I got to put the kids through school that that's not what's driving your decision to work when and where you're going to work. I I saw you were just in in Hawaii um, on Brandon Turner's podcast, which is awesome. Um, you know, he's a mutual friend of right uh, of ours, and he's just a great human. But yeah. as you're well, there's no but in that. I wasn't going to say <laughs> um, what I was thinking about, and the reason why I'm bringing this up is when I was in Hawaii, I was you know reading a story about the plantations, and mm -hmm. there's this idea. You brought up slavery. Um, there was this, uh, thing happening in the early days of Hawaii. And this is really, this has been going on for thousands of years on plantations, but it just hit me when I was there and I was reading this, all these workers would come to these plantations and they would basically, you know, work on the plantations and the store was on the plantation. So they would get paid yeah. and basically their money would get deposited into, um, like an on-site account. Right. And right. And they would go to the store and they would charge against the money that they made for their food, which was like three times the cost yeah. of what it would be on the mainland. And when you said slavery, I've said this for years and I've been a little bit careful about it until yeah. recently. Um, you know, there's again, I'm, I want to make this really clear. There's nothing wrong with having a W-2 job. No. I said this one time and my wife was like, oh, man, I don't know if you should have said that. I made the comment. <laughs> I said, 
your wife or not your wife, your boss will never pay you enough to be his or her neighbor. And a lot of people get frustrated and we live in a day and age of, you know, expectation where, um, you know, people think that things aren't fair. And I love what you said early on. I mean, I actually right here, I have a, a one bedroom, one bath, uh, 1976 single wide that I lived in, um, in with a brother and a sister and a mom and a dad. So five of wow. us, I didn't come from money. And you said right. something earlier in the show that it doesn't really matter where you came from. It matters about changing the mindsets around it. And there's this idea today that, you know, like somebody who's successful owes somebody who's not. Um, there's all these crazy ideas around it. And I love talking to guys like you that have broken broken the mold and and didn't really come from anything. And, and you just fight through that. But again, your boss is not going to pay you enough to be his neighbor. Right. If you want to be your boss's neighbor while working for your boss, then you have to figure out how to do what Brian Tibbs did and what I've done and what so many successful people have done. How do, And even if you're a business owner, how do I create more income and wealth outside of my day-to-day -day trading time for money? Yeah. And this idea of slavery that you were talking about is just such a, it's, it's such a message that's in my heart because if you look at, if you look at just, I mean, even 150 years ago, this idea of the plantation or slavery, or even when you look at, you know, when the industrial revolution happened and, and Ford and the factories and then unions and, and Henry Ford coming up with the idea of a five day work week, this is all new stuff. Like right. we live in a pretty new time. And right. when you look at today, and the system that we live in with education and going to college, and there's nothing wrong with any of that, but then right. we're going to just work, you know, our entire life, 45, 50 years working for somebody else. If you don't do what Brian is explaining and teaching us and what he talks about in his book, then you're truly just subscribing to a system of legalized slavery. And I don't, I, I just wanted to say that because you yeah. said it so eloquently around slavery. And, and the reality is like, I think we have this false idea. Now, slavery is a bad thing. I'm not saying that it isn't, but there's a lot of forms of slavery and, and the mindset slavery that we've gotten ourselves into that Brian talks about in his book and is really trying to break us out of is super important. Yeah, hundred percent. And, and, you know, I was talking to a guy not too long ago and he asked me a question and he was almost kind of pushing back on the stuff that I, I've been talking about. And he says, well, what do you say is the minimum amount somebody needs to make in order to, in order to be able to build wealth? And, and my response, I kind of knew where he was coming from. And I said, well, it, it depends entirely on the individual. No, he's like, no, because you have to make this much or you're not going to be able to get ahead. And because you've got these basic bills and I'm like, you know, it's your choice to buy a 2,500 square foot home as your first home. It's your choice to buy a brand new car as your first car. It's your choice to rack up your credit cards. You know, there are other choices that you can make that's going to dramatically reduce the amount of obligations that you have to pay so that you can begin to build wealth and break out of that and find the freedom that we're talking about here. And, and that is a entirely that's entirely residing within the brain and the mindset of the person that is asking that question, right? Because he was pushing back on the idea that somebody making minimum wage is going to be able to break free and build uh, massive wealth. And, and to anybody out there who's listening, you know, in the United States, even if you make minimum wage your entire life, if you work from the age of 20 to 65, you will have earned more than two and a half million dollars in salary. 
That's because you were born in the United States. That's not something you could claim of somebody born in Mexico or, or in India or in Russia. That's an American phenomenon. So if we can learn how to be disciplined with that massive wealth that we have, even those making minimum wage, and we can be the masters of our own domain and not just be told by society, listen, as soon as you graduate from high school, man, you've got to have a college degree. Well, in order to get a college degree, you got to put on $100,000 in debt. Okay, so you do that. You get out of college, you got $100,000 in debt, you got to start paying that. Now I better go get a blasted job. Okay, I'm going to get a job so I can pay my debt. Then you get married. Man, I got to have a house. So now I'm going to go get a mortgage, which is three times bigger than what my school loan was. So now I'm paying that and I'm paying that. Now to get to work, I got to have a new car. So you go get a car. And, and the system is built to keep you trapped in that system. You just have to say, no, I'm not going to play that game. I have what I have and I am going to be wise. I'm going to be intelligent. I'm going to maximize the things that I've been given and I'm going to climb my way out of this. I want to circle back to something that you said early on, you know, your your first investment, you were just listening to your dad and your grandfather talk. And based on like what you were just saying around the mindset and, and talking through all that and this guy debating with you, um, when 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 I think back to, you know, my early days as a real estate investor, the the first thing that got me, there was a few things, but one of the first things that got me excited about real estate investing was a CD that I bought from Barnes and Noble from Dolph DeRue's called the Real Estate Investors College. It was $24.99. And there's so many people out there like that guy that you were wrestling with. Um, not actually, but you look like a wrestler. Were you a wrestler? <laughs> I, I wasn't. Uh, I was tempted to. The coach tried to recruit me, but I never, never got to it. Yeah. So this this guy that you were kind of wrestling with his mindset around this, there's so many people that think that, you know, along the lines of what that guy was saying that, you know, whether it's coaching, I got to I got to hire a $50,000 coach or whatever it is. It was a $24 CD series. You have a book coming out. Um, the, the Kindle's 99 cents, as you said at the beginning of the show, like there, in this day and age, even what you were talking about with America, we live in the most blessed time in the most blessed country. We have more opportunity than millions and hundreds of millions of people before us ever had. And to be honest, the education is not that expensive. It's not a $100,000 college education. It was a $24 CD. It was a 99 cent Kindle. It's a $20 book. It's joining a coaching program. Like there's zero excuse today. And so, I mean, even going back to what you were saying about your dad and grandfather, the thing that got you interested in buying your first investment property was overhearing a conversation. So there's really no excuse that we have today. Um, and, and people just like to make excuses for their um, lack of ability to go execute and the fear. And so I want you to address that. What are a few of the things that you could kind of share with our audience around fear and making mistakes, which they will do? Because I think more people are just trapped in, in, in the education circle than right. are actually moving into the execution circle. Yeah, I know people who have more degrees and certificates and titles and have never accomplished anything. And and as soon as they get the next certificate that they go find the next one that they've got to have. And I mean, if that's your hobby to, to learn, that's fantastic. But if but stop fooling yourself if all you're doing is, you know, filling you up. So I equate learning and doing to eating and then exercise. 
right? If all you do is consume educational content, but you never go out and do it, you're just going to get mentally fat. You're just going to, you're just going to feed yourself, but you're never going to go out and, and work. And there's, there's a friction between learning and doing. Doing is always, you know, there's often, there's books written like what I wish or what I didn't learn in seminary, right? That's for missionaries. Like they tell you like, well, what's the real world like? You know, they're not going to talk about in seminary. You can do the same thing, I'm sure for any profession, what they didn't teach me in med school or what they didn't teach me in engineering school or whatever, right? Because the real world is different than the education world. I, I'm a I'm a firm believer in education, but one of the questions that I have, and this is something we're trying to address as well, is whatever happened to the concept of apprenticeship, mentorship, whatever happened to the idea of learning and doing at the same time, um, and then slowly earning your own legs to go off and do your own thing. And and that's something that we're working on within this initiative with the book and yeah, The Unexpected Investor, which is the, the name of, of our website, theunexpectedinvestor.com, where we're putting together a community of people where we're, we're going to have everybody be mentors, going to be mentoring and being mentored as well as we go through this process of deconstructing kind of the cultural mindset that we have collectively of I've got to have a job, I've got to have a degree, I've got to have a new car, I've got to have a big house. Um, we're deconstructing that and beginning to teach people how to take some of the income that they have and apply it towards building massive wealth so that you can get to that point of that freedom that you've been talking about. Yeah, man, it's it's so good. Um, on, on the lines of the apprenticeship and the and the mentoring and all of that what are a few of the things that because there's obviously something that's driven you uh and you know i can kind of hear it in your conversation and i think i probably know the answer to this but what is it that has driven you to to launch this community and write this book i just kind of want to peel back the curtain um what where did this come from you know i i even just just last night, I watched a documentary on the uh, the Gettysburg Address. Mm-hmm. Right, is a speech in 1863 that that Abraham Lincoln gave when we weren't sure if the North was going to win the war. We weren't sure if the United States was going to survive. We weren't sure if democracy itself was going to be a thing. Um, and and Lincoln gave this three minute speech, and it literally flipped flipped the script. And his and his whole focus was on we were all created equal. And, and I would say that that is my burning passion is I see so many people that don't see themselves as equals to you or to I or to Donald Trump or who knows what. They just they see themselves as inferior. And I know this isn't an issue of race or gender or LGBTQ. I'm not talking about that kind of freedom or civil right. I'm talking about a financial equality. And the the beautiful thing is we can be the masters of our own domain. We can set the course and we can fix the inequality that exists out there. You know, the reason why the wealthy can live so differently than the people who are poor is People who are 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 making minimum wage or even making fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars a year, and they're just up to here to, with their bills, they're paying the same for a cheeseburger that you and I pay, right? And so, and so, if you can just figure out how to orchestrate getting past that subsistence level uh, 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 of income, it can dramatically change 
going down to what you're talking about, having the freedom to be able to do what you want, when you want, how you want, being able to work in the job you want to work in, how you want to do it, and when you want to do it, and how much you want to do it. That all comes down to us, us finding our own financial equality. And so I, man, nothing would, nothing would thrill me more than to work with people who today are kind of stuck in that paycheck to paycheck grind and just turn the lights on and let them see how it doesn't have to be this way. And I was talking to one of my, one of my clients and uh, a business partner of mine who we had breakfast just a little while ago. And I was showing him the financials on a deal that we had done together. And he said, Hey, Brian, I just want you to know, I'm like $50,000 away from becoming a millionaire. And I was like, what? And he said, yeah, it's all happened in the last two or three years. And, and it's not all you, but it's largely you. And, and for the things that I've learned from you and the things that you've taught me and how you've let me come in and be a part of this deal. Um, and, you know, my heart just filled up. I was like, oh my gosh, I helped this guy get out of the, I'm going to earn a paycheck. I'm going to save 10% of it. I'm going to do, you know, and, and really got him on fire to start charting his own course. And that's what I want to accomplish. You know, that whole idea of, and, and I actually have, I guess, sympathy for my, you know, 22, 23 year old self, right? Your earlier self for that person that, you know, is stuck in the paycheck to paycheck, because we really have a system. And some people might say this is my tinfoil hat, but we really have a system <laughs> that's rigged against us. Like, it's really, it's you know, how many times have you been sitting at a table with somebody who's, you know, financially educated, and I love what I love what Warren Buffett said one time. He said, Wall Street is the only place in the world where somebody, you know, a 27-year-old takes the train to the office and then somebody in a Rolls Royce shows up to take advice from that 27-year-old. And again, I'm not <laughs> saying that it's, you know, the Rolls Royce or anything else, but Warren Buffett, when he made that statement, I was just like, man, that is so true because there's an entire system that has been set up by what I say is the Wall Street cartel and we've just fallen into that. Get a job, put 15% of your paycheck into a 401k. Yeah. Hopefully yeah. he's going to be there. So I have sympathy around this, but the thing that I want to ask you, and then we'll kind of pull this thing to, to a close. What do you say to someone? What's like the first thing that they really have to work on if, if they're programmed in this system? And, and yeah. one caveat that I'll say before I toss it back to you this never, this never ends for me. Mm -hmm. When I walk into a room at GoBundance or any other mastermind, I have insecurities. Sure. I have a thing that you were saying, like, I'm not good enough. I, I don't know if I belong in this room. Yeah. All of these things, it never ends. Like we should be getting into bigger rooms. And every time we do that, there's a sense of insecurity because I'm becoming a new person. But what is the thing that you would say to somebody listening that's stuck and maybe they've been, you know, over-educating themselves, overeating, as you said. Like, yeah. what's the number one piece of advice that you give them? Yeah, yeah, great question. And this kind of comes back to something we were talking about earlier in terms of fear, right? Um, and I and I have the same insecurities that you do. At, you know, the first time I walked into a GoBundance event, I was like, am I going to walk in and there's ever going to be wearing top hats and walking with canes and look like the little Monopoly figure guy, you know, all these rich dudes? Um, which of course it's not at all like that, <laughs> but you have these things in your mind. You're like, yeah, I don't, I just don't fit in with this group. I don't even speak their language. And, and it's just all this junk that's in our, in our own heads. So I want to talk about fear in two different ways. Number one, 
monster under your bed fear. Okay. So that is just a way to say it's a fear that doesn't actually, you're fearing something that doesn't actually exist. So for me, even in recent years, when I, when I moved back from the mission field, I had never done a significant rehab on a property. And so I had all these monsters under my bed about rehabbing property, like contractors. How do I find a good one? How do I find any of them? The city, oh my gosh, I'm going to go in. They're going to put a heat lamp on me and they're going to interrogate me and getting a permit is going to be impossible. And they're going to make me do all this stuff that I shouldn't have to do. So I had all of these misconceptions until I actually did it. And when I actually got past my own fear and I started hiring contractors, and of course, yes, I had problems. Uh, and working with the city is a pain. It is, it is. But it wasn't this monster that I had made it up to be that is going to devour me. In fact, my wealth building is only accelerating as I learn how to work with contractors, as I learn how to deal with the city, as I learn how to get better deals that are a mess now that I can make pretty and make it a product for somebody that, that somebody wants on the other end. So that's one side of fear that I think is holding people back. And my encouragement to you on this is don't fear something or don't don't not engage in something that you know that you should do just out of a fear of what might be the problem. Chances are it's way overbuilt in your head. In fact, I've got this thing that I tell myself now, when I'm starting to feel stress on something, I tell myself 99.9% .9 sure this is not as bad as you think. And that's the case. 99.9% .9 of the time, it's not as bad as I think. And if you can retrain your brain, instead of hiding from the monster under your bed, confronting it, and then making it as small as it actually is, and then overtaking it, that's going to get you out of that stuck spot. The other part of fear that I, I think is important, it has to do with, um, it has to do with, I'll just say it, it has to do with greed. Now, we usually think of the word greed as meaning, I'm going to be a money hoarder. I'm going to be a I'm going to be a Scrooge. It's all mine and none of you can have any of it. I think that if we are so we have such an emotional baggage wrapped up in our money that we keep a death grip on it and we never let it go in whatever sense that is to help somebody out, to be generous or to invest. Like we have this fear and so we take this money and we put it in a savings account that's earning me 0.1% interest. And I stick it there because it's safe because the government guarantees it's going to give it back to me. I think that's greedy. I think you need to exercise opening your hand up, letting your money leave your direct control, putting it at somewhat amount of risk. And I say the word risk and everybody puckers up. In order to be successful at what I'm talking about, you have to learn to take risks, measured risks, not Las Vegas style roulette risks. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about learning how to deal with the monsters under your bed, do the due diligence to figure out if an investment is something that has a likelihood of turning out well, and then opening up your hand, letting go of that greedy grip that you have on your cash and sending it out to go to work. Those are the two elements of fear that I think is holding probably most people back. Because you ask anybody, would you like to have financial freedom? I I don't think I've ever run into somebody who said, no, I don't want that. Thanks for the, thanks for the idea. I think everybody wants that. What is holding them back then? It, 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 you know, it's not a lack of education. Like you say, the tools are out there. It's like, I always love it when Brandon Turner says, do you know how to get a six pack? Yeah. Eat less and do sit-ups. 
Well, how come you don't have a six pack? Well, I'm just not willing to do what it takes to get a six pack. The education is there. The people like you and I, we exist. Mentors are out there. Uh, Coaching is available. So it's not as if there's just some lack of access to how to get it done. I think it boils down to fear. Yeah, it's it's totally, you know, going somewhere where we've never been before is scary for every single human. Yes, me too. Yeah, that's the thing that people have to understand is like, Again, that's like comparing your year one to somebody else's year 20. It just all of a sudden you missed 19 years of chaos and mistakes. And I'll never forget this. Justin Donald was speaking to Karen. I do a couples mastermind and, and there was like six couples in the room at one of these trips that we did. And Justin Donald was speaking to the couples and this couple had done like a $6 million deal, something new that they'd never done before. And they were having challenges, which you're going to have anytime you do something new. And so they were sharing the story with Justin and Justin made this comment. He said, and this kind of goes back to what you're saying about the monster under the bed. Justin said, there's always like our, what we use our brain for best case scenario. And then what we use our brain for worst case scenario. And it rarely works out to be either one of those. It's usually in the middle and the people that are successful spend more time worrying about you know, focused on what what's the best case scenario. And hopefully it happens somewhere in here, but rarely does the yeah. monster under the bed jump out and bite us, right? And um, it was just such a powerful transformational conversation with Justin, because again, everybody loves to talk about their, you know, their successes, but you talk to anybody that's successful and they can give you a hundred thousand mistakes that they've made and challenges, but it's the person that's living in fear and doesn't want to just get moving past this worst case scenario. We have to get through that, which by the way, as a side note, Kara and I, we have a trip coming up for the audience. Um, We're taking seven couples to Cabo San Lucas. If you're interested in that, text the word trip to 480-531-7519 or shoot me a DM. Would love to have you. Um, Is that a mastermind or what is that? Um, it's a couple's trip. So we do these. Uh, oh, that's right. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, we, we do these like epic trips where we always start with the trip. And then we spend time together as a couple, but we're shifting it a little bit this year for the audience. It's not a one year commitment like it used to be. We're doing a trip and then we'll be together for three months. So anyway, text the word trip to 480-531-7519. Brian, let's kind of land this plane. And I want to say this. Um, you said something earlier, and I'm a pilot. And my flight instructor, the day he gave me my license, he said, Mike, the day you get your license, this license is really just a license to learn. He taught you a lot, but there will never be enough that I can teach you in the six months or a year or two years or whatever it takes to get a license. When you get that pilot's license, and this is scary, by the way, for the people that are not pilots. Um, He said to me, the day you get that license is the day that you really start learning because when I'm no longer there in the right seat with you, that's when you have to learn to make decisions and, and overcome challenges and obstacles. And you were just talking about, you know, the, the day that people get moving, like that's when they really start learning. And, and it reminded me of that. So let's land the plane. Let's talk about the book, any final words of wisdom, anything we haven't covered that you want to touch on. Let's do it. Yeah. So uh, the book is called the hacker method. So it's the Unexpected Investor's Guide to Building Wealth, even on limited income. So it's essentially my story, right? It comes out uh, and it's got a plane on it for all you pilots. <laughs> uh, and, and so if you can see, it's, it's, it's a, a piggy bank that, you know, so the phrase is, yeah, when pigs fly, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people that 
might say, unexpected investor, yeah, when pigs fly, I'll be an investor. I know that's kind of an old phrase, but the idea is, why couldn't a pig fly? He just climb in an airplane and now he's flying, right? And so the hacker method, the whole idea is how to uh, hack your personal lifestyle, hack your hack your personal expenses to work for you instead of against you. The mortgage, the car payment, the all the stuff that just takes our entire paycheck. It's just talking about how to manage that, be in control of that. And then the other side, you know, I said the 50% of your budget for spending, the 40% of your budget for investing, and 10% of your budget to give away to get make the world a better place and build a multi-million dollar net worth in the process. So that's the gist of the book. It comes out on February 27th. And so if when it comes out, if anything that we have talked about has resonated with you, if you would buy it on February 27th, then the Kindle version is 99 cents. We want to encourage people to buy it as much as possible so that it will climb in the rankings on Amazon and it will get pushed out to more visibility to more people because we want to help people find that financial equity, that financial equality. Um, and we want to work alongside people doing that. So February 27th is when that comes out. You can get the Kindle version for 99 cents for yourself. Then you could buy the paperback and send that to someone else you know that also needs to hear this stuff. So that's what's happening with the book launch. So good. So you also mentioned earlier, um, you've got a community and stuff coming up. I don't know if it's too early to talk about that. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we can talk about that. So um, we're creating the Unexpected Investor Community. And it's going to be a group of people that all are on this journey together. Some of us are on year 20. Some of us are on year one. Some of us are at month one, right? And it's going to be about mentorship. It's going to be about apprenticeship. It's going to be about education, but it's going to be like the doing and learning kind of education rather than take a course and hey, good luck, right? Um, it's really about accountability. We have the whole hacker method um, uh, assessment that we're going to live inside of while we're going through this process. And it's not like you join for a month and then you're gone and and good luck. This is something that I want to join with people for a lifetime, for a long term, uh, and just journeying with them as they build wealth. Um, there will be opportunities to be with me in coaching. There'll be opportunities in group coaching. There will be small group mentorship. There's going to be all sorts of tools and resources that we're going to be providing as well. And that is available on the website now. We're officially going to kick it off after the book launch, but it is available on the website now. So good. If people are interested in finding you, um, obviously they can find the book on Amazon. You mentioned a web page. Where, where's the best place for people to find you? Yeah. So uh, theunexpectedinvestor.com is the website. All the stuff that we're talking about is on there. We're on social media at Unexpected Investor. So, you know, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, uh, Twitter, all those places. X, now it's called, um, is where you can find us. So good. Hey, I appreciate your time. I appreciate the wisdom and experience. Um, thanks for being on the show, man. Man, Mike, thank you so much for the opportunity and the invitation. And I love watching what you're doing as well. Look forward to working with you more in the future. Thank you. If you found value in this episode and you know someone who's wanting to start or move further along in their journey toward investing for freedom, I would be forever grateful if you would share this show with them and help me get this message out to more listeners. Also, if you enjoy what you've heard, I would appreciate it if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. And until the next episode, cheers to moving further along in your journey of investing for freedom.